You're listening to sermon audio from Ransom City Church. For more audio content, visit ransomcitychurch.org. Open your Bibles to 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. We're going to be continuing our series in 1 John this morning that we started last week, which brings us to this passage. 1 John 1, 5 through 10. Um, as you're flipping there, I want to start with a couple of uh, illustrations. Firstly, if you were sick with an illness that eventually was going to kill you if left untreated, but you didn't think you were sick, would you go to the hospital? No. (laughs) Well, then you're not going to get better, right? Or I'll give you another illustration. Um, If every time, my wife Jackie, in our marriage, if every time I sinned against her, I refuse to apologize and admit my wrongdoing, right? Do you think that we'd continue to grow deeper and deeper in relationship day by day as as husband and wife, or might that hinder our growing together closer as husband and wife a bit, quite a bit, right? The latter, correct? (laughs) Exactly. Similarly, here's kind of where we're headed this morning. If you're taking notes, this is our main point for this morning. It's this. There is no entering into or deepening in our fellowship with God without the confession of sin. I'll say that again. There is no entering into or deepening in our fellowship with God without the confession of sin. We'll see that in our text as we jump in this morning. Pray with me. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to gather together as a church Lord, we are grateful for that. Um, Lord, help us to have grateful hearts coming out of a season where we realize how, how much we might have taken that for granted. Um, so we, we praise you and thank you that we get to do this again. Um, Lord, just prepare our hearts to receive your word this morning. Give us ears to hear, uh, hearts that are ready to uh, receive what you have to say to us. And give us, Lord, the desire and the ability to repent of our sin Um, and to run to you as our Savior, as our one and only hope of of righteousness um, and and the forgiveness of our sins to to run to Jesus uh, and for the empowerment to change. Lord, we we pray these things in your name. Amen. Okay, so we'll jump into our text and and walk through it together, starting in verse 5. It says, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. The message that the Apostle John is proclaiming to his readers here is one that he and the other eyewitnesses heard from Christ himself. That's the first him in verse five. This is the message that we have heard from him, him being Jesus. That message being that God is light and in him is no darkness at all, meaning at least a couple of things of note for us this morning. Number one, highlighting the righteousness and perfect, the, the, the perfect holiness of God. Darkness here being symbolic of sin, right? So in him is no darkness at all means it's pointing us to and, and highlighting the perfect righteousness, the perfect holiness of God. Amen? Does that make sense? So firstly, it's highlighting the the perfect holiness and righteousness of God. Secondly, by calling God light, I think John is getting at in and through God, the truth is revealed. 
in and through God, the truth is revealed. As the ultimate source of all truth, as the one who created all things, right? So you might know a thing or two about how it works, amen, <laughs> right? So as the ultimate source of all truth and the one who knows all things and never lies, as we see in Titus 1, 2, that God never lies, right? So I think that's uh, at least two things of note that, that John is getting at here with this phrase, God is light. So picture light, picture that illustration that John is giving us. Well, what does it do? Well, light illuminates, right? It, it shows us the truth of what's in front of us, right? And it exposes, it shows us where the filth has been hiding, right? If, there, if there's a dirty spot that's been hiding in the darkness, turn on the light and you'll be able to see it, right? It illuminates, right? Light illuminates and it exposes. Um, I'll give you another analogy. Like the, <laughs> I really, I don't think any of us like when they do this. When, when the local news will take a black light into your favorite restaurant or hotel and you're like, no, <laughs> like, don't do that. I don't want to see it. That, that's what God in his, his brightness, in his perfect holiness does in his word. Right? He exposes the sin in our hearts against the brightness of his character and his perfect standard of righteousness. Amen. Does that make sense? And that feeling that I was just talking about of the, oh, don't show me that. I don't want to know that. <laughs> right? I don't want to see that. That feeling is often how we respond in our hearts, right? Because we're sinners and part of us likes our sin and wants to cling to it. But like with the black light, it's better that we know even though it's painful, right? That we'd repent and believe and be saved and continue to grow in our faith, right? So that being said, don't avoid the light. Don't avoid the light that is God and the truth that he reveals. Instead, pursue it. Pursue him, right? Via his word and prayer and gospel community, praying to the Lord, God, show me where I need to repent and grow. And then seeing that in his word as you hold it up as the mirror that it is, right? Inviting other believers to speak into your life that you'd continue growing and maturing in your faith both for your good and for the good of those who you lead. That you can say with the Apostle Paul, as he says in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, be imitators of me as I am of Christ, right? Albeit imperfectly, but that's my aim and I wanna continue growing in it. That should be our attitude, right? Verse six and seven, John goes on. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Meaning a couple of things. This will take a minute to walk through, but meaning I think a couple of things. One, if we claim to have a reconciled relationship with God through faith in Christ. In other words, if we claim to be a Christian, right? While still walking in completely unrepentant sin, not struggling with it as a believer, which we all do, right? But still, instead, still completely giving ourselves over to it, not caring about it at all. If that's what we're walking in, then as John says, we, do, we lie and do not practice the truth. We show that the claim to know Christ, the claim that we're making that we have a reconciled relationship with God through faith in Christ, we're showing that to be a lie, right? Because the tree is known by its fruit, as we learn in Matthew 12, 33. As we've talked about many times before, I'll just give you a few of the things. We've talked about a lot of this stuff many times as a church, but true faith is repentant faith, 
right? True faith is repentant faith. Uh, faith and repentance are two sides of the same coin. They can't be separated, right? We, we can't have, in other words, true saving faith without repentance, nor can we have true repentance without saving faith, amen? They're two sides of the same coin. They cannot be separated. They're a packaged teal. So again, true faith is repentant faith. Also, true faith bears fruit, as we've talked about many times as a church, albeit imperfectly, right? Our fruit is not perfect, even as believers. We know this. We're still sinners, right? But true faith does bear fruit. It doesn't bear none, (laughs) right? It doesn't bear no fruit. There is, as we've talked about many times as a church, there is no such thing as a fruitless Christian, right? That's not a thing. That's not a thing, because true faith bears fruit, albeit imperfectly. And another phrase we've talked about a lot, but it's true, works don't produce salvation, right? We're not saved by our works, right? We can't be, but salvation does produce works, right? As it says in James, faith without works is dead. Why? Because it doesn't produce, because if it doesn't produce works, then it's not real faith, So faith without works is dead because if it doesn't produce works, then it's not real faith. Why? Because again, true faith bears fruit. It just does. Amen? Does that make sense? This is, these are the concepts I think John is getting at here. So if someone claims to know Christ, but continues walking in completely unrepentant sin, like nothing has changed, then what John is saying is, no, they don't. No, they don't. It doesn't matter what they claim. They don't know Christ. They're showing it by the fruit they're not bearing, by their lack of fruit, right? Because, again, true faith is repentant faith. It just is. They're two sides of the same coin. So claiming you have saving faith without repentance is like saying it's a really dark, sunny day out today. What? That doesn't make any sense, right? That doesn't, that's a contradiction. It doesn't make any sense. If one is true, then the other can't be. Do you see that? It's the same idea here. Claiming you have saving faith without repentance. Well, no. Right? If you have saving faith, it is repentant faith. It just is. Right? But on the flip side, as John says here, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. In other words, if we claim we have faith, uh, if the faith that we claim to have does bear the fruit of true repentance and obedience, again, albeit imperfectly, but it does, then we do have genuine faith. Then we do have genuine faith. And we have fellowship with God and one another as fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, members of the same kingdom and family, which John is getting at here. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin, past, present, and future, through our faith in him, which is showing itself to be genuine. You see that? Again, works don't produce salvation. We can't and don't earn our salvation by our works, but salvation does produce works. Again, because true faith bears fruit, albeit imperfectly. So we can examine whether we have true faith in Christ or not by how we walk. Do we walk in darkness? Meaning still completely giving ourselves over to it? Or do we walk in the light? Albeit imperfectly, but that's our new aim as new creations in Christ. That's the question. So examine yourself and ask which is true of you. And if it's the former, right? If you're walking in darkness, still completely giving yourself over to it, 
then repent and put true saving faith in Jesus. As John Murray calls it, a penitent faith or a believing repentance. Put that faith in Christ while there's still time, right? So that's the first thing I think John is getting at here. Secondly, here's the second thing I think he's getting at. If we claim to be walking in healthy daily fellowship with the Lord while still walking in darkness, while still walking actively in sin in certain areas of our lives, then no, we're not. (laughs) Then no, we're not. We don't have this awesome daily walk with the Lord that we're claiming to have. It's like saying, let me give you this, this illustration. It's like saying, I have a great relationship with, I, with, with my dad, right? I have an awesome relationship with, I de- with my dad. I mean, there's something he really doesn't want me to do, and he's right. Uh, he's right about it. Uh, I still do it anyway, but I have a great relationship with my dad, right? Like, do you hear what you just said? Like, <laughs> that doesn't, there's a lot of contradiction in it. You, you may well have a reconciled relationship with your father. If you have true saving faith in Christ, then you do, Right? So you may well have that relationship. Again, if you have true saving faith in Christ, you do, but it doesn't sound very healthy experientially right now on a day-to-day basis, even if it's secure positionally, right? Even if you're secure as a son in Christ through faith in him. It doesn't sound very healthy on a day-to-day experiential basis, right? Uh, To give you another illustration, if we're, Sons of God, through faith in Christ, we can't lose our sonship. We can't. If we have true saving faith in Christ, we are sons that is secure in him. Amen? So if we're sons of God through faith in Christ, we can't lose our sonship, but we can experience more or less joy as sons depending on how closely we're walking with our father at any given point in time. Does that make sense? can't lose our sonship. It's secure in Christ if we have true saving faith in him. But we can experience more or less joy experientially on a day-to-day basis in that relationship depending on how closely we're walking with our father. We're walking in relationship with him, right? So going back to what John says, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. In other words, if we claim our daily fellowship with the Lord is going great, it's awesome, right? While still actively in sin in certain areas of our lives, then we're lying. (laughs) And we're not practicing the truth. We're not living out the awesome daily relationship with the Lord that we're claiming to have. That's the idea. But on the flip side, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. In other words, if we repent of walking in the darkness and instead walk in the light, meaning in accordance with God's character as revealed in his word, our joy in fellowship with God and with one another as brothers and sisters in Christ will be restored and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin, meaning we'll experience relational forgiveness. In other words, restoration to joyful fellowship and the ability to move forward and continue to deepen in our relationship with God and one another after we've sinned but have since repented, which is also paid for by the blood of Jesus, that relational forgiveness that we'll experience. In Christ, we we find not only judicial forgiveness, meaning the, the clearing of our debts, that we could be declared not guilty in God's courtroom and welcomed into his kingdom and family despite our sin. That is ours in Jesus, certainly. Judicial forgiveness, right? But in Christ, we, we also find relational forgiveness as well. 
restoration to joyful fellowship and the ability to move forward and continue to deepen in our relationship with God and with one another after we've sinned but have since repented. That's relational forgiveness. We have both in Jesus, all of which is bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus. To give you an illustration, his blood is how our slate can be wiped clean in both categories, both judicially and relationally. Amen? Does that make sense? So examine yourself and ask, am I doing this? The thing John is talking about here, which is lying to myself and acting like my daily walk with the Lord is going awesome, right? It's great. Never been better, right? When I know there's an area that I need to address. Am I guilty of this, right? If so, repent by the power of the Holy Spirit that your joyful fellowship in him would be renewed and, and continue to grow as you continue growing in the faith and deepening in your relationship with him. To put it bluntly, that the sooner you admit there's a problem, the sooner your joy in him can be renewed and continue to grow. So as I've used this phrase before, act today, don't delay, right? The sooner you admit there's a problem, the sooner your joy can be restored in growing in fellowship with the Lord, right? Verse eight and nine. So he goes on. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So let's start with, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Why? Well, because we're sinners. (laughs) Because we're sinners. So there's always some sin in us. There's always something we can work on at any given point in time, whether we're aware of it at the moment or not. Amen? Right? That's just true of us as sinners. Always something to work on. Always room for improvement, this side of eternity. And this, by the way, includes the Apostle John. <laughs> he's including himself by saying we here as he's writing this. He says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us, myself included. That's what John is getting at. And that's an encouragement to us. Let me say this. If that's true of the Apostle John, <laughs> who was an apostle, an elder statesman, a mentor in the faith as he's writing this letter, right? Then it's certainly true of us, right? So this is an encouragement to hear John say that of himself. As the the Puritan John Owen famously wrote in uh, his famous work, The Mortification of Sin, it's a famous quote, but I love it. It's really helpful. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. That's Cutting words, but it's true. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. As sinners, there's always work to be done in putting our sin to death and growing and maturing in our faith this side of eternity, right? So the question is, do we know where that's in, that is in us? What areas we need to continue to work on and grow in? Where specifically there's more work to be done in growing to be more and more like Jesus in our hearts and minds? Do we know where that is as we sit here this morning? Right, to give you uh, uh, another picture, our sin, uh, you can kind of picture, is kind of like a wild animal loose in your house. <laughs> Just because you don't know where it is doesn't mean it's not doing damage. <laughs> right? <laughs> Even if you've lost sight of where to go, it's doing stuff. Like, it's, it's continuing to wreck the house, right? right? It just means you're not seeing it at the moment. It doesn't mean it's not happening. So go find it, (laughs) figure out where it is so you can repent of it by the power of the Holy Spirit. Hold up the mirror of God's word to help you see it 
Ask God in prayer to help you see it. Ask your brothers and sisters in Christ to help you see it. Hey, where do I need to continue to grow and mature in my faith, right? And, and frankly, if you're thinking biblically, uh, if they're thinking biblically, your brothers and sisters in Christ, they'll be glad to help. They'll be glad to help in, in, in that department of helping you work on the areas you need to improve in. I'll say this, especially your spouse. Uh, especially your spouse. I thought you'd never ask, well, this drives me nuts and this is annoying and if you could stop doing this, that'd be great and why don't you do something else? Um, like, yeah, like if, if you have mature brothers and sisters in Christ around you, including your spouse, they'll be glad to help in this process. Verse eight and nine, let's look at it again. He says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Again, meaning the two things from before, really, categorically. Uh, number one, if we refuse to admit that we're sinners, then we're not saved. If we refuse to admit that we're sinners, then we're not saved. Why do I say that? Well, because admitting you're a sinner in need of a savior is a pretty big part of coming to faith in Jesus. Amen? So how, what? <laughs> how, how are you a Christian? How are you saved if you're refusing to admit you're a sinner? Well, you're not, right? Because that's part of the deal, right? It's a package deal. So if you refuse to admit you're a sinner, then you're not saved. Right? You can't believe in Jesus as your savior if you don't think you need saving. Right? You see how that makes sense? However, as John says, if we confess our sins, meaning we, we agree with God that we're sinners in need of a savior and that Jesus is that savior and we put faith in him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We will be forgiven of our sins and declared righteous before God because Jesus lived a perfect life in our place and died a sacrificial death in our place that both his perfect life and sacrificial death would be counted to us by faith that we could be saved from the hell we deserve, right? That's the good news of the gospel. This is just the gospel. <laughs> this is just the, the good news of salvation by grace alone through faith in Christ alone in summary form. That's really what we're seeing in this passage. Confess your sins, right? Admit you're a sinner in need of a savior. Look to Christ as that savior by faith, which by the way, that's implied here. The reason I can say that confidently, look at back at verse seven. He had just said this. So John still has this in his head. Verse seven, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So in saying confess your sins, it's implied and look to Christ as your savior from those sins by faith, right? He's implying that here. I think he has that in mind looking at verse seven, right? This is the gospel in, in summary form. Confess your sins, look to Christ as your savior by faith and you'll be saved, right? But again, we can't come to saving faith in Christ without admitting we're a sinner in need of a savior. That's part of the deal. And I think that's John's point here. So that's the first thing I think he's getting at. Secondly, there's no continuing to grow in our faith without continually admitting that we're sinners in need of a savior and repenting accordingly, right? There's no deepening in our relationship and continuing to grow apart from the confession of sin. Um, he, he says again, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us in that area of our lives, right? Wherever we're guilty of sin, but denying that it exists, the truth is not in us in that category, right? But instead, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Meaning if we admit we have a problem, 
we have a sin problem and we turn to God for help, again, we'll experience relational forgiveness, restoration to joyful fellowship, the ability to move forward in our relationship with God after we've sinned, bought by the blood of Jesus. And he will help us to put our sin to death and continue growing in the faith by the power of the Holy Spirit. I think there's a sense of progressive cleansing of sin here as well. I think that is part of what John has in mind in this passage, meaning progressive sanctification, meaning growing and maturing in our faith as we continue confessing our sin and our need for a savior and repenting accordingly, right? Growing in our Christ-likeness over time as a result of doing that, right? If we look back at verse eight and nine through that lens, let's look back at it again. It reads like this. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Again, in that area of our lives, wherever we're guilty of sin, but denying it exists in us. He goes on to say, if we confess our sins, again, if we admit where we're struggling with sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to restore us to joyful fellowship with him and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, to help us to grow and mature in the faith and put our sin to death more and more each day until one day we're free from it completely when either we die or Christ returns. See that? It's another reading of this passage. Now, I'll, I'll say this. Both readings are true, and personally, I believe John wants, to, wants us to see both readings. I do. I think John wants us to see both here. All week, I'll just peek behind the curtain. All week I've been reading commentaries going back and forth about which one John means. Does he mean this one? Does he mean that one? Arguing back and forth with each other. But I don't think, this is my personal take, I don't think we have to choose. I don't think we have to choose. I think John wants us to see both. They're both true. You see that? Does that make sense? And both are frankly helpful reminders for us. So I wanted to spend some time on both readings. Verse 10 goes on to say, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Either completely, if we deny that we're sinners at all, in which case his word, namely the gospel, is not in us whatsoever, we don't believe it, right? And we're still in our sins. So either completely or in part, or in part. Again, Wherever we're guilty of sin, but denying it exists in us, his word is not in us. We're not walking in accordance with God's word in that area of our lives, even if we do know him. We have an area we're not walking with the Lord according to his word, where his word is not in us, right? Either way, John highlights here the seriousness of the problem. He says, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. We make him, being God, a liar. God has said over and over and over again in his word that we're sinners, right? Over and over and over again in his word. He's told us that we are sinners. And not only that, that we always will be this side of eternity, right? Until we die or Christ returns, that's always gonna be the case. As long as we're in this life, we're still gonna be sinners, so when we say that we're not, no, we're not, I'm not a sinner, either at all or not anymore or not right now or whatever version of it, right? When we say that we're not sinners, we're calling God a liar. And that's a problem. <laughs> that's a problem considering God never lies. So we talked about Titus 1, 2. 
And in fact, God is perfectly righteous. Again, verse five, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. The irony here, church, is that in denying that we're sinners, we've called God a sinner. Do we see that? In calling him a liar. That's the irony. Which, by the way, in fact, is a pretty serious sin. Uh, calling the perfectly holy creator God of the universe a liar, that's a, that's a big deal, right? Thus proving, by the way, proving God right to begin with, that we are sinners. <laughs> We've just sinned by calling God a liar. I just find that funny and ironic. The good news here, again, is what we find in verse nine. Verse nine says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Meaning, if we admit our sin here, if we look and we look to Christ by faith, we'll be forgiven of this too, right? If we admit our sin here and we look to Christ by faith, we'll be forgiven of this too, both judicially in God's courtroom through saving faith in Christ, right? We'll be declared not guilty, perfectly righteous because Christ was perfectly righteous in our place. Our sins have been paid for. Our slate has been clean because Jesus paid our debt in his death on the cross in our place, right? So if we admit our sin, we look to Christ by faith, we'll be forgiven both judicially in God's courtroom and relationally so we can move forward in joyful relationship with God after we've sinned but have since repented, right? So to summarize, uh, our passage for this morning, again, going back to our main point, our main point again is this. There is no entering into or deepening in our fellowship with God without the confession of sin. There is no entering into or deepening in our fellowship with God without the confession of sin, apart from our acknowledging and then continuing to acknowledge our sin and our need for a savior, right? There is no entering into fellowship with God apart from confession because again, it's part of the deal of what it means to come to true saving faith in Christ, acknowledging our sin and our need for a savior, right? Can't come to saving faith without doing that. You can't believe in Jesus as your savior if you don't think you need saving, again. And there's no deepening in our fellowship with God apart from confession. Because wherever we're, uh, we refuse to confess and acknowledge our sin where it exists, we will not grow in that area of our lives as we ought to. Right? We're, wherever we refuse to admit that we have a problem when in truth we do, wherever we do that, we, we forfeit an opportunity to grow and mature in our faith and in joyful fellowship with the Lord for as long as we do that. For as long as we go on deceiving ourselves, as John says, we, we're punting the ball and saying, I don't want to grow here. Bloop, right? That's not good. It, it, it's the old adage, um, and I know we've, we've all heard this, but it's true. The first step is admitting you have a problem. That's what we're seeing on display. The first step is admitting you have a problem. In the same way, there's no entering or deepening in our fellowship with God without admitting we have a sin problem without acknowledging that we're sinners in need of a savior and then continuing to acknowledge where we fall short and repenting accordingly, right? Again, there's no entering into or deepening in our fellowship with God without the confession of sin. So that said, how do we respond? How do we respond to this truth this morning? Three quick things I wanna leave you with. Firstly, pray and ask God to help you see where your sin is so you can repent of it and continue to grow in your relationship with him. Say, God, help me see it. Help me see where it is so I can repent of it and grow. Right, that's my desire. Again, 
Even if you don't know where it is right now, it doesn't mean it's not there. It is, right? It is, because we're sinners, right? Until we die or Christ returns. And until we die or Christ returns, there's always work to be done in repenting of our sin and continuing to grow in our relationship with God. So ask God to help you see where that is in you via prayer. Pray and ask, God, help me see it so I can repent of it and grow, continue to grow in that area of my life. And then be on the lookout for God's answer to that prayer. Be on the lookout for God's answer to that prayer, not only in what he brings to mind, but also as you hold up the mirror of God's word and you're honest with yourself about what you see. (laughs) Oh, that's convicting, right? This is how God says things ought to be. Well, that's not true in my heart here or in my actions here, right? And as you ask your brothers and sisters in Christ to help you with this, Right? What do your brothers and sisters who love you have to say as far as areas to work on and grow in? Listen, right? Again, provided they're telling you something biblical, right? Listen and go, yeah, that's a good point. Okay, I gotta work on that, right? Which brings me to my second point. Ask your brothers and sisters in Christ to help you in continuing to confess and repent of your sin. Here at Ransom City Church, our core groups are designed for this. They're designed for this. They're a great outlet for this. Our core groups are our discipleship groups. Men meet with men, women meet with women. It's, a, it's you know, two to four people get together and core, it's an acronym. Confession, outreach, reading, and encouragement. Those are the four things you're doing regularly. The C is confession, right? That's what it is. It's, it stands for the confession of sin with your brothers and sisters in Christ, right? Confessing your sins to one another that you may be healed, right? Which is good and biblical. It's one of the things core groups are meant to be doing regularly is the confession of sin together. So join a core group if you haven't already and then ask your fellow core group members, hey, what are some areas you think I can continue to work on and, and grow in? Right, I want to continue to grow in my faith and deepen in my relationship with the Lord. Where, where do you think are some blind spots for me? Help me to see them, right? And be ready for an answer. Because <laughs> I think the asking of the question is the easier part than the receiving of the answer a lot of the time, where it's like, oh, that hurts, right? Be ready for an answer, knowing, as it says in Proverbs 27, 6, faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Even if the answer stings a bit, I know that my brother and sister in Christ, or sister in Christ loves me and that it's ultimately for my good that I hear what they have to say, right? So that I can continue to grow and deepen in my relationship with God. So I wanna hear it. I wanna hear from them. And if you're the one speaking, <laughs> if you're the one that's being asked to speak in, make sure you're answering in a way that says, I love you and I'm for you I want your good, right? Don't flatter, don't do that. Speak the truth, but do so in love. As Ephesians 4.15 tells us, speak the truth in love, right? As Jesus says in Luke 6.31, we, we do well to bear this in mind here. As you wish that others would do to you, do, to you, do so to them, right? That's, that's simple, but that's a helpful reminder and principle here. How would I want to hear this? Okay, I'm gonna say this in that way that's loving and patient and, and gracious and merciful, amen? Thirdly and lastly, look to Christ for forgiveness and for the empowerment to change. Look to Christ for forgiveness and for the empowerment to change. Look to Christ for forgiveness both judicially 
If you've never placed saving faith in him up to this point, believe in him as your savior, that you'd be saved, that you'd be declared not guilty in God's courtroom. If you put saving faith in Christ, then you are, then you will be, right? If you already have done that, then you have been, right? Amen? So both judicially and relationally, look to Christ for relational forgiveness. As the reason you can just confess and repent of your sin and move forward in your relationship with God wherever you sin, or whenever you sin, right? And have since repented. He's the reason we can move forward after we've sinned. We can repent and come home and, and be restored to joyful fellowship with the Lord. And look to Christ for the empowerment to change via the Holy Spirit now at work within you. Know that you're not being asked to repent and grow in your own strength, but instead in the strength that he provides via the Holy Spirit now at work within you. And live accordingly. Live with the confidence that you can, church, continue to repent and grow and deepen in your relationship with God by the strength that he provides via the Holy Spirit now at work within you. You can do that. He's given you the empowerment by his spirit to do so. Amen? Again, there's no entering into or deepening in our fellowship with God without the confession of sin. Join me in prayer. Lord, help us to confess our sin, to acknowledge that we're sinners in need of a savior, to look to Christ as that savior, as that one and only savior, either for the first time or anew together this morning. Help us to do that, Lord. Help us to see that there's no entering into or deepening in our relationship with you apart from the confession of sin, apart from admitting that we're a sinner in need of a savior. Help us to remember that truth. Help us to take our growth seriously, to want to continue to grow until we reach the finish line, until we are complete when we die or Lord Jesus, you return. Lord, help us to, to desire that and give us the ability to live accordingly, the empowerment to do so by your spirit. Lord, we ask things, these things in your name, amen.